Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. If y'all stand with us. Uh, we're just going to dive right in. This song talks about the things that we come here to do, to trust in our God and to remind ourselves and each other about truth. So we're just going to dive right in and worship and let's sing it out.
Darkness 
Sensation to deliver me from 
chapter 10. We're continuing our series in Hebrews, and uh, that's going to be in page 1006 in the black Bibles that are under the chairs, if you want to follow along uh, in one of those. And uh, if you don't have one at home, you're welcome to keep one of those as well. We'll restock those during the week. Um, We've been in Hebrews seeing that Jesus is compared to other saviors, specifically in the Old Testament. There, There are a lot of ways that people were saved in the Old Testament, a lot of Heroes and things and uh, principles and, and sacrifices and things that were done in the Old Testament that helped uh, the Old Testament people of God. And what the author is telling them again and again is that uh, all of those things were good and they were right and they were true and they were gifts from God, but those were gifts that were to show us and point us to the ultimate Savior, Jesus. And, and in a similar way, in a parallel fashion, as pagans, we can take uh, good things from God even if we weren't Uh, Jewish worshipers like they were at at this time period, we can take just good gifts from God like uh, sexuality and relationships and money and jobs and these good things that God gives us. Instead of uh, receiving those as gifts that cause us to praise God, we can begin to make them into a savior for ourselves. We can begin to worship those things, think that we're going to find salvation in those things. And that's where we tend to go wrong. Martin Luther always said that Uh, If you break the first commandment, then that's going to make you break all the others. The first commandment is you should have no other God before me. Well, if you break that one, then you're going to break all the other commandments. When we begin to worship something other than God himself, we begin to bend all the other rules in our life. And and so what we're seeing this week is that in Jesus we have a better sacrifice. Uh, That in every religion there are sacrifices that are uh, supposed to be made. In Christianity, it is radically different than every other religion there is because in Christianity, instead of humans making sacrifices to come to God, we have a God that makes a sacrifice to bring us to himself. 
radically different sort of religion. And so we're going to read the first few verses of Hebrews 10 and then read a few verses at the end of our section. Um, we'll get to the rest of the verses as we go through, but I wanted to kind of hit the beginning and ending of this section. We're in chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. And as we think of this uh, sacrifice and this idea of people making sacrifices to come before God, I just want to give you a little, a little context. The Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 17 that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives, us, uh, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God made everything. He doesn't need our sacrifices. And so what we'll see is that even those Old Testament sacrifices that God told them to make uh, were not to feed him or please him in some way, but they were to teach us. They were to show us something, and we'll, we'll unpack what that means. Let's read chapter 10, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. That they are a reminder of our sins. Verse 4 says, For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Let's skip down now to verse 12. Verse 12, it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. I don't know what you are spending yourself on in life, what you are offering yourself to, but we are all religious people. Whether we're worshiping the true God or not, Romans 1 says we're all religious people and often we, we worship the gifts instead of the giver. And we give ourselves to making sacrifices to the little saviors, the little things that buy us temporary comfort instead of offering ourselves and giving life to the one God who offered himself for us. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would teach us this morning. You would help us to understand the unbelievable. God, help us to believe it. That you would teach us that you gave yourself for us. You made the offering for our sin. That you made the sacrifice so that we don't have to. God, teach us. We pray that your spirit would apply your word. We pray in Jesus' name. As I was thinking about this God who sacrificed for us, I was remembering uh, something that someone shared with me just the other day. I'm going to apologize ahead of time. I'm going to have to keep drinking water the whole time. I've got this tickle in the back of my throat. It's killing me. <clears throat> but uh, it's not really killing me. Don't worry. I'm not going to pass out or anything. It's driving me crazy. Uh, but just last week I was sharing uh, and talking with someone about how they came to understand the gospel for the first time in their life. And, and they were talking about how they grew up with an abusive mom in an abusive situation that the mom beat them and mistreated them and verbally abused them. And she remembered one time when she was six or seven, she spilled milk on the kitchen table and her mom came in the kitchen in a rage and was angry 
And her older brother spoke up and said that he spilled the milk and he got beaten for what his little sister had done. And she said 15 years later, when she heard the gospel for the first time, that there was this Jesus who loved us enough to take uh, the penalty that we deserved. She understood it. It made sense because she had a brother who had loved her that way. She said, of course, her brother didn't love her all the time, right? So, I mean, the, the illustration can fall short, but it helps us to get a little glimpse of that ultimate love that we have. And that's really an echo of what we've been seeing in Hebrews, that, that we have these saviors, we have these moments in time, these pictures, these shadows, as it talks about, that point us to the deeper reality, right? That, that God loves us perfectly. And what's amazing about Jesus' love for us is it's, it's again, different than, it's not like some uh, mom that's going to beat us, right? God loves us and his wrath is just and right. It's right for him to be angry against our sin and against the terrible things we've done and other people have done. And he, and he, doesn't, just, he doesn't just punish someone out there, but the Trinity teaches that he takes it on himself because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He, he makes the sacrifice himself. That's the beauty of the Gospels, that God sacrifices for us. And we see this even in the reminders and in the pictures and the shadows in the Old Testament. It says, first of all, that the sacrifices from the Old Testament remind us of sin. Remind us of the problem that we have. In verse 1 it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. How many of you, when you were little, uh, tried to catch your shadow or chase your shadow? Have you ever done that? Chase your shadow? Y'all are all liars, just like the first service. Nobody would admit it. Like, I never did that. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Well, those of us that are honest, we, when we were little kids, we tried to chase our shadows, right? You know, your shadow, it's this dark thing on the ground when the sun is out. And it, it's an image of you, right? But it's not you. Now, in Peter Pan, this gets a little confusing. So keep push that out of your mind. But, but in reality, it's... It's this image, right, that moves across the ground or moves across wherever you go. The light is, is projecting this image onto the ground because there's no light there. And so you've got an outline, but it's not you. And, and he's saying that's what we have in the Old Testament sacrifices. They're true, right? It's the right shape. It's the right form. But it's, it's showing us Jesus. The, the shadows themselves are not Jesus. These sacrifices in the Old Testament point us to true realities, to true things. They are good and they are right, but... But they're not the fulfillment of that reality that we have only in Jesus. And he says what those shadows do is they don't make us perfect. They don't complete us. The law didn't fix what was wrong with us. The law taught us that we're broken. The sacrifices pointed to our sin. But one of the phrases I've used again and again is flannel graph, right? They were illustrations. They were cartoons telling us a story, but they were not the real thing. The real thing is in Jesus. Jesus alone can perfect us. He alone can save us. Verse 2 says, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Part of his argument, part of his logic here is they wouldn't have kept offering these sacrifices if those sacrifices could have really perfected us. If they could have really fixed us, they wouldn't have kept doing it. But he says they kept doing it because it was something he was trying to teach us. And then he says in verse 3, But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. Verse 3 and 4 here, this is one of those things, if, 
if you believe in writing in your Bible, you would underline this, right, and star this. I think it's okay, just so you know. Uh, you would underline this and star this and say, this is, a, this is a good couple of verses to summarize and help me understand what the Old Testament was all about. Specifically, the Leviticus and these bloody sacrifices and these rituals and these ceremonies that they had that the priests carried out. They were to teach us something. And he says specifically, they were to teach us that we're sinners. They were to remind us of our sin. Verse 4 says, For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But the blood of the bulls and goats don't actually fix anything. It's not like those bulls and goats satisfy God. That's to feed the humans and tell them a story. Remind them that there's a brokenness in the world, specifically within us. And we're sinners and there's something wrong with us. Any of you have reminders that you use in your life? Like you, you write things down on the calendar, you use sticky notes, right? My secretary will put sticky notes along her uh, desk, right? Uh, my other secretary, you know, writes things in the calendar. Um, I, I have to have beepers that go off. Um, my wife can tell you I am completely oblivious to time. And uh, you probably know that being in this church, we never start on time, right? I, I'm, I'm completely incapable of knowing at any moment what time it is. Especially if I'm thinking about someone, something else. If I'm talking to someone, if I'm reading a book, I lose track of time. And it's really amazing because... We can go, my wife and I go places together and I can just like quiz her and she'll know what time it is. It is the weirdest thing. Maybe some of you are like that. I never have any idea what time it is. I, I have no concept. I mean, I kind of know it's Sunday morning because I'm standing here preaching. But beyond that, minute by minute, I don't know what time it is. So I have, you know, on my phone, these little beepers that go off. And so I was thinking, okay, translating what these Old Testament sacrifices do to remind us of sin into our day and time, it would look something like this. This would be... <coughs> an alert, right? For those of you in the back with the bad eyes, it says, you are a sinner today, all day. So this would be like a beeper, an alert that would go off, right? A calendar alert on your phone to tell you you're a sinner. That, that's what these Old Testament sacrifices were to do. They were to remind us, you, you are a sinner. How long? All, all day, okay? It, it, it's an ongoing problem. It, it doesn't just go away. So the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of these sacrifices, again, they fed people. A, a big misunderstanding I had until I read through the Bible several times, I never realized that it, they were just big barbecues, right? They were eating this stuff. They weren't burning it all up. They did have some special ones where they burn up the whole thing, but most of them, they were eating it. They were big barbecues. They were big celebrations. So one, they were teaching people something about the nature of the world and the nature of ourselves that we're broken and a price needs to be paid. We're sinners. Also, he was feeding people, Right? He, he, was, he was throwing them a party as well. He was doing fellowship and all these other things were taking place in these sacrifices. But it wasn't to feed God, right? Paul said in Acts 17, it's not like God really lives in these temples that we build. It's not like God really needs the blood of animals to survive, right? He, he made everything. We've got a lot of Old Testament quotes that echo this. <clears throat> Psalm 50, verse 13 says, Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Right? I mean, that doesn't make sense. God's saying, that's, that's not me. I don't need that to survive. I'm God, right? I don't need this stuff. He says in verse 8, Psalm 50, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of blood or the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? He's saying, all of it belongs to me. 
I don't need you to come deliver it to my temple so that I could eat and get up one more day and be fed. Says, that's, that's not for me, it's for you. It's a reminder for you. I'm, I'm teaching you something. I'm not feeding myself, is what God is telling them. In Isaiah 1, he says in Isaiah 1.11, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. He made it clear again and again that that's not his pleasure. That's not his goal. It was something he was doing to accommodate us, to teach us something. Jeremiah 7, verse 22, For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them. Obey my voice, and I'll be your God, and you shall be my people. Walk in the way I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear. He's saying, when we first came out of Egypt, I told you, trust me, and things are going to be all right. Obey my law, listen to what I tell you, and things are going to be all right. And then later on, after they'd been there for a while, he began instituting these sacrifices. But his point is, my original desire for you is to listen to what I tell you to do. And we'll get into that more in the next section in verse 5 and following in Hebrews. But I want us to pause here for just a second and ask the question, what are the sacrifices that we're making, right? Instead of trusting that the sacrifice of Jesus is complete, what are the sacrifices that you make? I, I don't think you are tempted like these first century Jewish Christians. I don't think you're tempted to go back to temple worship. For one, the temple's been destroyed. Uh, for two, most of us are not Jews, right? But, but there are rituals and there are habits and there are sacrifices and offerings that we make in our own little religion, right? Like you may make plenty of sacrifices because you believe somehow in your mind, if I can just get my financial house in order, I'm willing to make whatever sacrifice it takes to get my financial house in order because that's going to that's gonna give me the peace, the security, the safety that I need in this life. Is that the sacrifice you're making? Or, or you may have certain moral standards, but you at a deeper level believe that if you've just got the right, secure sort of relationships, and if you are wanted and needed, that, that that's worth everything else. And you're willing to blow out the window everything else in life to have that relationship that makes you feel whole. Well, then I would say that's, that's the God that you're sacrificing to. Maybe uh, you just want respect. Maybe you want popularity, right? Maybe you want to get ahead at your job. Maybe uh, you want uh, pleasure, right? Maybe you're just looking for the next thrill. You're willing to throw everything else away just to not be bored, just to be uh, having thrills and pleasure and enjoying life, right? I don't know what it is you struggle with, but, but you know. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is bringing that to your mind and showing you, pointing out, this, these are sacrifices I'm making. This is a false god that I'm worshiping. I'm, I'm laying down these offerings to this alternative religion, this other way of living. I'm making sacrifices to this to, to give me security, to give me safety. And the message of Hebrews is, is don't go to those other saviors. You have a better savior in Jesus. He's the only one that can save you completely. And he unpacks this in verse 5. That Jesus is really the only sacrifice that really pleases God. These sacrifices of, of animals, the blood of bulls and goats, he said again and again, does not please me. That's not what I actually desire. But I desire that you would listen to me, is what he said in Isaiah. So, so read in verse 5 in that context. Hebrews 10.5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. If you're reading through the Bible in a year, one of the ways that's going to really help you make sense of the Psalms is to know that everybody else saw David speaking in the Psalms prophetically. 
right? So King David, he wrote a lot of the Psalms, but he was writing them as a prophet. So they're not just uh, wisdom literature or poetry, but they are also prophetic. And they're speaking the very words of Jesus. So Jesus speaks through the Psalms to us, even though they came before him. And the author of Hebrews is saying that. Christ spoke in Psalm 40, and then he quotes it. Here's what he says. Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. A little side note, if, if you go back to your Hebrew translation of Psalm 40, it says, uh, ears to listen to me, or something like that. It literally, in Hebrews, it's, you've dug out ears for me. And so we have a, a discrepancy in translations here. The, the author of Hebrews is quoting his Greek Bible, but in the Hebrew Bible it says, ears you dug out for me. The Greek Bible, it says, a body you prepared for me. And so basically what we see is that when the Greek translators... Uh, back B.C. translated the Hebrew Psalms into Greek. They thought ears you dug out for me was a little too weird. And so they tried to generalize it. Say you, you prepared a body for me to respond. Either way, the point is, you don't want me to go through these sacrificial rituals. You want me to respond to you, right? So one of the Hebrew terms is you want ears to listen. Another response, another concept is you, you want a body that responds to you, right? But you want someone to do your will. That's the greater point here. So whichever translation you go with, uh, his point, the author's point, is the same. That, that you didn't just want sacrifices and rituals. You wanted someone to respond to you. God, that's what you were looking for. And Jesus speaks these words and says, he's it. He's the one that actually responded to God. None of us did. I didn't listen to God and do what he said. And you didn't. And you didn't. None of us did it, right? But Jesus did it. We all followed in Adam and Eve's footsteps. We all rebelled. We all said we want to be our own gods. But only Jesus responded to God and perfectly did his will. He picks it up in verse 6. <clears throat> he, he echoes this again. This idea that we saw in the Old Testament already. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. As it is written of me in the scroll of the book. He's come to do God's will. That's what pleases God. Doing God's wishes. That's what pleases him. So those sacrifices are just to teach us, hey, we're off track. We're not doing his will. They're to remind us of our sin. But, but those sacrifices don't actually magically transform us. They don't fix us. We need Jesus to fix us. Those sacrifices just teach us and show us that we fall short. In, in verse 8 he says, When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, so here, the author of Hebrews is now exegeting or, or pulling apart Psalm 40. So he quotes Psalm 40, and then he says, and this is what he means, right? He says, first of all, in the first part of Psalm 40, that you weren't pleased, you didn't desire these sacrifices. But then in the second part, he says, here I am, I've come to do your will. So he says, see, that's just one more thing to show us. Here's his logic. One more thing to show us that the old covenant didn't get us there. The old covenant showed us we were broken. And then in the new covenant, it's Jesus fulfilling it for us. He actually comes along and he does what is right. He does what is perfect. This is an important theological concept. Most of us understand if you've been around Christian circles long enough, you've heard that Jesus died for your sins, right? You've heard that before. That Jesus on the cross took the punishment for our sins, right? Our sins were put on Jesus. And so that cleans out our account, right? That, that takes care of the debt. We saw a couple of weeks ago, the ransom, the payment price for our debt has been paid in Jesus, right? He was punished for our sins. 
The other concept, the other side of it, though, and this idea of Jesus being our substitute is he didn't just pay for our sins, but he gives us a perfect life. He, he did God's will. So by faith, we are in Christ. It's one of those themes you see again and again in the New Testament. When God looks at you, he sees you in Christ. He delights in you. He sees you as the one that did God's will. He is pleased with you. Guys, that's, that's the most unbelievable part of the gospel. That when God looks at us, he, he loves us. That affects everything in your life. So, so then when you fall and you stumble, uh, you don't run the other direction, but you come to your father because you know he loves you and he forgives you and you, you bring it to him. I saw that a few weeks ago when, when we were teaching on, on uh, the Lord's Prayer and Matthew 6, we just sang this song, right? We, we have to trust that God's love for us is strong and it is ever present and that will affect our prayer life. We'll begin talking to him. We'll begin loving other people if we believe truly that God loves us. That we stand uh, hidden in Christ and His perfection. Because He did God's will when we couldn't. He says, Behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See Him again and again. We don't have to offer something else. We don't have to put any more quarters in the machine. The payment has been made. Jesus offered himself, and it is complete, and it is done, and we can rest in that. And so we don't have to commit ourselves to these dead works that we saw a few weeks ago in, in chapter 9, these dead works that, that religious hypocrites often fall into, trying to do this and trying to do that to look religious and to trick people into thinking you're religious and you're good, even though you know you're not inside. He says you're free. You're forgiven. You're seen as, as completely loved and accepted in God's sight, and that sets you free to live in a new way. That sets you free to love people and to do what is right. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel was criticizing Saul for not doing God's will. Saul thought, you know what? I can disobey God, but then I can make up for it by doing these little ritual sacrifices. And Samuel was saying, no, that, that's not the point of the sacrifices. The point of the sacrifices were to show you that you're broken and show you your need for God to change your heart. But the sacrifices don't just magically fix everything. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel says this, As the Lord has great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, He'd rather you do His will. He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen better than the fat of rams. In Matthew, Jesus quotes Hosea 6. He says, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Because that's his goal for you that, you, would, that you would love other people. That you would live out his, his will in space and time to your, to your neighbors, to those that you work with, right? That you'd actually reach out to them, that you'd actually live differently. I have a picture here of a fruit tree. Can you see that? That's a fig tree. These are real common in, uh, in Israel. And so it was an illustration that Jesus used quite a bit. One time he condemned a fig tree and just dried it up because there was no fruit there. He used it as an image again and again for the religious hypocrites of his day. We have, we have to be very careful of this because a, a lot of times we can be like those religious people that Jesus was always confronting. We come to church and we do religious things, but there's no real fruit born in our life. In, in, in Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And, and, and what it says is that those things are the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of our flesh. And so the, one of the paradoxes in the Christian life is that we have to rely on the Spirit and not on our own strength. 
And what that looks like is relying on Jesus bearing the fruit. And when we believe that Jesus bore the fruit and that he was the perfect Adam, he was the perfect Israelite, he was the perfect human, that he took our place in his active obedience, that he did God's will, when we believe that he did that for us, that actually enables us to then bear fruit in our life. But the opposite doesn't really work. When, when we think, oh, I've got to do it myself, that, that's when we fail, that's when we stumble. When we think, I've got to do this on my own and God's abandoned me, but if I fix myself and pull myself up by my bootstraps, then God will love me again. That, that's the mistake we fall into where we fail to believe the gospel. He's forgiven your sins. Even the sins that you think he can't forgive, right? Because we all grew up with these certain standards of you do this and you do this and you do this, but if you do that sin, woo, you're in trouble, right? And, and so we all have these unforgivable sins. We all have this list of, well, I do these, I've never murdered anybody, but I did do that. You know, and, and you, you kind of have this list of things and you've kept most of them, but there's a couple you're not sure if God will forgive. And it says that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice that paid for all of them. He paid for all of them. There's nothing left. So the paradox is to believe that he bore fruit for you and then that will enable you to bear fruit. The last thing is that he finishes the job. It is complete. There's nothing left to do. The, the end of our little section here with verse nine or verse 10 says, By that will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Sanctified is the word, same word for holy. So in the New Testament, anywhere you see the word sanctified, saint, holy, Holiness, those are all the same word. Okay, those are all the same word in Greek. They're just you know, different forms of that same word. But they're all the same word that means to be set aside, right, for God's purposes. And he says, he's setting us aside for his purposes through the work, through the offering that Jesus made for us. In verse 11, he says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of God. He's, con he's contrasting, right, the repeated sacrifices that the priests offer and the one-time, ultimate, done, finished sacrifice that Jesus made. And, and here he's making an interesting contrast, too, visually, that we don't catch because a lot of us work sitting down, right? How many of you get to sit down at your job? Ever? Some of you? A few of you. Okay. Um, I have a chair and a desk. I sit down a lot at work, right? Uh, but, but in these times, generally work went along with standing, right? And then you would sit when you were done. And that's part of what he's contrasting here. He's saying the priests offered these sacrifices and they're working and they keep doing this and they are standing daily at the service. And it's contrasted with Jesus, who it says sat down at the right hand of God. He's done, right? He's on the throne now. And this brings us back to what he said in Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus is one with God the Father. We understand that he's on the throne. He shares that power with him, and he's completed the work. So in Hebrews 1, we got the vision of him on the throne and this idea of the authority and the power. Here, he ties that in with the, the vision of because he's finished the work. He, he's done it. He's completed the task. There's no more sacrifices to be made. Verse 13, it says, He's waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. <clears throat> Again, one of those contrasts that we live with, right? We, we trust that we're completely sanctified. We're perfected for all time, but it's also happening in, in real space and time. I, I know that God looks at me and, and delights in me. I, I can have a completely perfect, restored, a complete relationship with him. Verse 14 says he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
And perfect doesn't mean without flaws. We've talked about this before. The word perfect in the scriptures means complete. It's finished, right? And so he's completed the restoration of our relationship with God. So we can come before God now. We don't have to be afraid of him anymore. We don't have to follow the Old Testament pattern of you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, stay out, stay out, stay out. But now we can go in, right? The doorway is open and we can go into God's presence. And we can know that he accepts us. And he doesn't look on, on us with, with shame and disgust, but he looks on us with delight because we are in Christ, who is God's delight. And he's done his will. But he also says that applies to those of us who are being sanctified. It's an ongoing work, right? Do I love my, my wife and my kids perfectly all the time? You're supposed to say yes. No, I don't, okay? I, I don't. I'm being sanctified. I'm being san- set apart. I'm becoming a saint, but I'm also at the same time a saint forever in Christ. The work is completed. It is finished, and that's what I trust in. I trust that he's done the job. And as I trust in that, in real life, I begin to be more holy. I begin to do right things because I'm freed up now. I don't have to spend my energy and my money trying to fake it, trying to impress people, but now I can actually spend my time loving people because I believe that God loves me. I have a picture here from Saving Private Ryan. Anybody ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? It's about this mission that these guys completed. It's kind of based on um, some real things that happened, but you know, it's mostly fictional. But the idea was that this mother had lost three sons, and so this general wanted them to go save this final son and send him home so that she didn't lose all of her sons in the army. And it took everybody in that unit. They all ended up dying. And finally, another unit came in to rescue them. But in his last words, this um, <clears throat> Miller says, James... Earn this. Earn it. Right? And that's his last words. He'd, he'd given himself. He'd finished the job that he'd been commissioned to do. Right? He found Ryan. He rescued him. This other tank comes in. He knows it's going to be okay. He dies. And he says, but, but James, earn this. He tells Private Ryan to live up to what he's attained. It's the way Philippians describes our salvation. Paul says, only let us live up to what we've already attained. That's that paradox working out in our life. We've been saved. The work has been finished. And now we have to live it out. We have to live as if God really loves us. We have to believe it. We start acting that way. The, the final application, I think, is given then in the next verse. He says in verse 15, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So we have this contrast, right? Between the the beginning of the chapter, he's talking about remembering things. The Old Testament sacrifices helped us to remember that we're sinners. And now here in verse 17, he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. We we have to come to that place of of being reminded. We need the alert to tell us we're sinners. C.S. Lewis quote I read a couple of weeks ago. He says, if you don't think you're a sinner, Christianity has nothing to say to you. If you think you're perfect and you have no problems, then Christianity really is not for you. But if you've been reminded, if you've seen the alert, you know you're a sinner, you know that you're broken, you know that the problem in the world is not just all the bad people out there, but it's also within your own heart, then then Jesus has an answer for you in this new covenant. He, He has an answer for you. He says, I will remember your sins no more. That doesn't mean a God is no longer omniscient here, right? That, that, that means he's no longer going to remind you. He's no longer going to wave it in your face, right? 
He's choosing to not actively remember your sins and hold them up to you, but he's putting them away. He's cleaned them out. He says, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So, so the call then for you, the call for them was to not then go back to the temple, right? He says, there's no longer any other offering for sin. Jesus is it. You are called to trust in that. Now, the temple's been destroyed. They're not tempted to go back there anymore. But as I said, we're all tempted to trust in some other offering. We're tempted to trust in some other sacrifice that we would go to. He says, there's no other sacrifice for sin left. We, we have to trust that Jesus did it. And so when hard times come, we have to draw near to him, not go back to our other sacrifices, not go back to our other religion, not go back to our other saviors and our other habits, but draw near to the Father who has opened the way up of relationship to himself. So what we're going to focus on next week in verse 19, he says it this way, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Guys, that, that's where the tension lies. When hard times come, we want to quickly go back to our old habits instead of drawing near, drawing near with this assurance, drawing near, trusting that God is our answer. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us so much that you made the sacrifice for us. God, I pray that we would feel and live the gravity of this reality that you're a different kind of God. That we don't make sacrifices to you, but you made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Thank you. We praise you for what you did to Jesus. As we share in communion, Lord, help us to remember that. Remember that gift. That we're not going through a ritual to impress you. But we're going through a ritual that reminds us that you are remembering our sins no more. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.